Hello and welcome to the Foodies Reviewing Movies podcast. I'm your host, Callie, and thank you so much for taking the time to join me for today's edition of the Review Taste Test. Well, from a convict undercover to flying fire-breathing beasts, I have three reviews to share with you that'll have your eyes surely locked to your TV screen. Let's go ahead and get started with Netflix's Lock and Key. Season 3, which is also the final season of the series, was released on August 10th. With that being said, I do feel like there's a small chance that a spinoff could be created. And I'm not going to put all my eggs into that basket, but I just don't see it being completely out of the realm of possibility. And for those of you who are not familiar with the series, the story revolves around the Locke siblings, who are moved by their mother back to their father's hometown in Massachusetts after his untimely death. Upon their arrival to Key House, they find out that their ancestral home is more magical than they could have ever anticipated as mysterious whispers lead them to keys that will forever change their lives. The final season of Lock and Key has been given a 74% on both IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes, and I feel really that's a fairly accurate rating. I'd probably give it about the same. Definitely the first season is by far my favorite. You get to learn all about the mysteries and the mystique of the Lock siblings' new home with them, which is always really exciting. And then the second season does a great job of building off of that fun and creative foundation of the first season, and you still get to see the progression of the characters and their stories evolve. The third season ties up all those loose ends into a nice little bow, but I do feel like it was a bit rushed. So I would have liked to, I guess, just seen a little more flushing out of a couple of the characters and a couple of the storylines. Overall, the acting in this series is executed well by some seasoned actors and some new faces. Also, the story is one that can be enjoyed by younger and older viewers alike. There is some mild cursing and a little violence, so I would say probably preteens would be a fairly safe group to start watching this series with. Anne's Lock and Key follows the trends of TV shows being adapted from comic books to the screen. Of course, there were some changes made, like the main villain Dodge is a female in the series instead of a male like in the comics. And the fact that we get to start in modern day instead of the American Revolution is another pretty big change that was made. But for the most part, it sounds like quite a few of the original themes and characters were taken from the print to the screen. Well, from hidden keys to hidden intentions, Blackbird is a TV miniseries that will have you sitting on the edge of your seat. It's based on a true story of disgraced football player Jimmy Keene, who was sentenced to 10 years in prison after being busted for dealing drugs. But luckily for Jimmy, he is offered an amazing deal by the FBI that if he can elicit a suspected killer's confession, then his sentence will be considered complete. Rocketman's Taron Edgerton and Kingdom's Paul Walter Hauser deliver chilling performances as the leads in this short series. They're also joined by the likes of Greg Kinnear, Sadafa Mawafi, and the late, great Ray Liotta. Rest in peace, Ray. Well, I enjoyed this one quite a bit. It was thrilling and nerve-wracking, and the whole time I was a bit anxious, sort of wondering, okay, is Edgerton's character actually gonna get made and killed, or is he really gonna actually be able to pull this thing off and get this confession from this new serial killer friend of his? The writing was well thought out, the plot was attention-grabbing, and it had a very mind-huntry kind of vibe. 
It was given an 8.4 out of 10 on IMDb and a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I completely agree with that. I think this is an A plus B minus kind of situation in my book. It checked a lot of the boxes for me and I was really pleased with it and sort of was disappointed that we didn't have more coming to us. And if you'd like to check this one out, you can go ahead and watch it on Apple TV+. And our last review is for the pilot episode of the Game of Thrones spinoff, House of the Dragon. We end up returning not only to Westeros, but to King's Landing. Only this time, we aren't starting off our series with the Lannisters in power, but the Targaryens. The pilot begins with a prologue to give us a little history lesson prior to us even stepping into current times. It was really a quick and effective way of laying out exactly where we're at in the timeline of things. After we leave the prologue, we see a dragon flying over the city like it's no big deal. No one in the city even seems to be phased. So now we're like, okay, we're in the days of the dragon. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited. This is really, really flippin' cool. We then meet the current reigning family, which is consisting of Princess Rhaenyra, who's actually the one riding the dragon over the city. Her mother, Queen Emma, who's pregnant with whom her father, King Viserys, is hoping will be a son, so that way he has a rightful heir to his throne. And then Rhaenyra's uncle, Prince Daemon. One thing that we catch on to pretty quickly is that while Rhaenyra is kept close to the king and his court, she's also kept at an arm's distance, and that's because she's a woman. So we figure out pretty early that women are overlooked and that it's a man's world. In fact, women are almost mocked by men. For example, when one guy is talking to a woman of royalty, he's like, the queen who never was. And apparently the queen who never was is a title that she was given by like a bunch of people. So um, yeah, that's really awesome. Thanks for, you know, completely just mocking this woman. It's already bad enough she didn't get the throne, but now you guys have to remind her of it. Anyways, so due to this patriarchal society, the fight over who will be the heir next ensues. And of course, you can't have a conversation about who's gonna rule a kingdom next without that power-hungry uncle that everyone loves. Whether you're talking about lovable Uncle Scar from The Lion King, or you're referring to one of history's mysteries like the princes in the high tower, there's typically a power-hungry uncle in that story. By the way, if you don't know much about the princes in the high tower, here's a little history lesson for you. It is thought that back in the late 1400s, the Duke of Gloucester, Richard III, possibly killed his 12-year-old and 9-year-old nephews who were set to take the throne after their father, King Edward IV, died. Well, of course he obviously did this so that way he could rule. Which, by the way, his reign was only two years. It only lasted until he died at the Battle of Bosworth. So, good job, murderer uncle. Your plan went so awesome. Anyways, back to House of the Dragon. Matt Smith, who I've mentioned previously on the podcast in the Morbius episode, plays the uncle, Prince Damon. And Smith does a fantastic job of playing the bad guy. And he absolutely lives it up in episode one. You see him constantly making moves and scheming. Yeah, he does just such an outstanding job. And, you know, initially he and his niece, they get along really well. But then the question pops up fairly quickly into your head of how long is this actually gonna last for between the two of them? So far in this pilot episode, we've got dragons, we've got misogyny, we've got a power-hungry uncle that's probably gonna stir up a bunch of stuff so that way he can try and steal the Iron Throne. But what else 
is shown in the episode. Well, there's a tournament being held for the arrival of the king's new heir, so you get to see some jousting action, maybe possibly a little love blooming, and a really sad, gruesome scene involving a terrifying act of nature. Initially, you may wonder not only why this particular scene was shown, but also why the sequence was edited the way it was, or at least I did. I've got to tell you, watch the behind the scenes episode that follows the pilot. It's really helpful and gives you a lot of insight as to why things were done the way they were. After I watched it, I really had this new, real appreciation for how the storytelling and editing were done. So that way they could really convey the point that the production team was trying to get across. Overall, what are my thoughts on this? I'm intrigued to see where this goes. While it's set in a world very similar to that of the Game of Thrones that we already know, this is very different. It's set 200 years before Daenerys Targaryen. And I do recommend giving it a try and leaving behind the expectations that may naturally be attached because, like I mentioned, we already have been to this world before, but it's definitely a different time. But you still do get a lot of the Game of Thrones feelings of you know, just the beautiful scenery and the gorgeous costumes and the writing, those elements, they are still there. And I'm not the only one who's interested to see where this is headed. 90% of Google users have liked the series so far, and it has received ratings of 83% on Rotten Tomatoes and an 8.9 out of 10 on IMDb. Just a few days ago, it was also given an early renewal for a second season. So now the question I have to pose to you is, will you give it a shot? If you'd like to check it out, new episodes premiere Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on HBO, and they're available to stream shortly thereafter on the HBO Max app. And I have another question for you, but this time relating to food. Are you a fan of Girl Scout cookies? If so, there's a new cookie being released in 2023. The new cookie is called the Raspberry Rally. It's a crisp cookie that's inspired by one of the most popular flavors in the Girl Scout cookie galaxy, the Thin Mint. And per delish.com, the Raspberry Rally will have the chocolate coating that we all love. But instead of the cool mint center, the middle of the cookie will boast a raspberry flavor. Another big difference between the Raspberry Rally and its sister cookie is that the new cookie will only be available to purchase online. Also per delish.com, it's almost that time of year. Fall will be here before you know it, which means that one of the season's most popular flavors will return in full force. From lattes to Oreos, pumpkin spice infiltrates many drinks and snacks alike. And this childhood favorite is no exception. Goldfish has teamed up with Duncan to premiere a limited edition pumpkin spice gram. And this childhood favorite is no exception. Goldfish has teamed up with Duncan to premiere limited edition pumpkin spice grams. It has a dusting of Duncan classic pumpkin spice blend, giving the savory snack some notes of pumpkin, cinnamon, clove, nutmeg. Duncan and Goldfish, they recommend eating these as either a standalone snack or paired with a pumpkin spice latte. But according to Gabby Ramiro, who wrote the article that I've referenced from delish.com, she said that she wants to eat these grams with absolutely everything. 
And also she said that these would taste delicious as a crunchy topping over ice cream used in a place of graham crackers for like a falls inspired s'more or even crushed up as the base of a pumpkin cheesecake. She's just saying, look, the possibilities are endless, okay? So if this new treat sounds tantalizing and you wanna give it a taste, you can get the Goldfish Dunkin' Pumpkin Spice Grams when they hit grocery store shelves in the US on September 1st. And a bag will cost you about $3.39. Well, on that spicy note, that's all for today's review taste test. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, or tell a friend. Appreciate it very much. And if you'd like to get in touch, this is how you can do so. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at FRM Podcast and email us at frmfan at gmail.com. 